0: Welcome back to another episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. Joining me this week, as always, is fellow Pennsburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Garrett.
0: You know, Robbie, the last seven days since our last Pennsburg Podcast episode went out, I described it in one of my recent Pens Points posts that it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Boy, this recap segment might go down in history as one of the more <laughs> Uh, infamous recap segments we do uh-huh. on this show. Yeah, uh, We were talking right before we started recording about what transpired in the Penguins' most recent game against the New Jersey Devils. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know what has happened since then. We will get into it momentarily. Let's start the recap segment like we always do. Uh, the Penguins played the their cross-state rival Philadelphia Flyers on April fifteenth, two 2021, uh, a game in which the Flyers would take by a score of two to one, thanks to a shootout win. Uh, not a lot of offense in this game to report for you, Robbie. The first goal of the game coming in the second period, thanks to Sidney Crosby. He gets his 17th goal of the season at the 5:04 mark of the second period. Assist coming from Chris Letang. And Brian Dumoulin, that would be all the offense you'd see in the second period. In the third period, the Flyers find the equalizer about 90 seconds into the third period. Jakub Voracek gets his eighth goal of the season. And the Flyers and Penguins are tied at one. That would be all of the goal scoring you would get. Uh, the Penguins and Flyers and Regulation tied at one. They go into overtime. They can't find a decisive winner in overtime. That means both teams go to the shootout. Uh, Jake Ensel gets the shootout going with a goal. Philadelphia answers back with Claude Giroux getting one past goaltender Tristan Jari. Sidney Crosby up next. He is stopped by Carter Hart. Sean Couturier gets a second goal past Tristan Jari. And finally, Chris Letang gets stopped in the end. Like I said at the at the start, Philadelphia takes the extra point here, winning 2-1 to one in a shootout. Uh, Robbie, Philadelphia are fighting really for their playoff lives at this point, and they still have quite a bit of, of work to do if they are to try and clinch a playoff spot. But um, I think in recalling this game... Uh, it was i think it was a bit of a rehabilitation game for Philadelphia Flyers goaltender Carter Hart making 31 saves on 32 shots shots a 969 save percentage getting the shootout win uh Carter Hart had uh, been notoriously struggling for the Flyers in net and the Flyers as a whole had been on a bit of a downswing here i don't i don't know if there's a whole lot to take away from this game i guess if you want to analyze the shootout uh, i really wasn't personally impressed by Chris Letang or Sidney Crosby in their shootout attempts. Uh, Tristan Jari looked pretty pretty well beaten by both Flyer goals from Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier. But the the, the Penguins take the loser point here in the shootout. Robbie, uh, what what other thoughts would you like to add to this game between the Flyers and the Penguins?
1: Yeah, this was a very odd Penguins Flyers affair, and maybe the Flyers struggle this year have kind of put a damper on that a little bit. It all seems to be a more fun rivalry when both teams are. Are very good in competing for the playoff spot. But I mean, Philly, they're hungry, they're desperate, they needed two points. They're going to pretty much need two points in just about every game from here on out just to have a chance. It's a tough climb for them. So they needed that. And maybe even the two points aside, maybe their biggest takeaway from that game was uh, Carter Hart's performance. Uh, Hart is, to put it mildly, struggled this year. Uh, if you remember back to last year, he was the second coming. He was the next one. He was finally going to be the one that solved the Flyers' goaltending problems. And last year, it looked like that. He looked like the dude for them going forward. Unfortunately, this year has just been a struggle. He's still only early 20s, still very young, has a lot of development left. So it's tough to say that he's not going to be that guy. But, yeah, he showed up last Thursday night in that game, and he pretty much got the Flyers, one, to overtime, and two, got them the win, uh, Flurry, or not Flurry, Jari was completely undressed by Claude Giroux and Jaka Voracek uh, in the shootout. Not much you can really say there. They were two good moves. Uh, but the Penguins, as all seems to be the case, it just seems in the shootout, they don't deke much. They don't make try to make many moves. They just made it very easy for Hart, at least Crosby and Latang did, and they Pretty much paid the price there. They lost the extra point. And for the Penguins, it's you still get a point, but that's a game you like to get two out of, especially when they had that opportunity, a very good opportunity to get just that much closer to the Capitals and Islanders ahead of them. But hey, it is what it is. You got a point, uh, and then you just move on.
0: The Penguins did move on. They move on to uh, a two-game set against the Buffalo Sabres starting on April 17th. Uh, this would be another one-goal game. The Penguins would be the winners here, winning this contest by a score of 3-2. to two. In the first period, we have Jared McCann at the 10-30 mark of the first period, racking his 12th goal of the season. Uh, into the second period, Evan Rodriguez gets the Penguins out to a two-goal lead, his sixth goal of the season, coming at the 5-57 mark. Tage Thompson uh, breaks the shutout here, gets the Sabres on the board at the 6:41 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh still leads by... By a score of two to one, Brian Rust at the 12:15 mark of the second period on the power play gets his 17th goal of the season. Uh, assists coming from Sidney Crosby and Jake Ensel on the power play there. And in the third period, Casey Middlestat on the power play tries to uh, tries to get the Buffalo Sabers back into the game at the 11:44 mark on the power play. Like I said, uh, Pittsburgh would hold on; they would maintain their one goal lead here, win this contest by a score of three to two. Robbie, I think this game and the, 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 the next game we'll touch on with the Sabres as well. Um, ever since the firing of Sabres head coach, Ralph Krueger, the Buffalo Sabres, for all of the hard times that this team has gone through this year with their legendary losing streak and, and all of that crazy nonsense that has gone into this team, uh, these two games against the Sabres Look, the the Sabres team looked like a really different, really more motivated, really more, much of a more collective unit here. Uh, Pittsburgh gets 41 shots on goal. Buffalo gets 30 here. For the Sabres, one of the shining lights here was uh, the Sabres goaltender, Dustin Tukarski, making 38 saves on 41 shots for a 927 save percentage here. So even though the Penguins get the two full points here, uh, I I left that game having a feeling that the next time that these two teams would meet each other when they completed this little two game set I had a feeling that the Sabers would come out and they would play much harder than they had played in all of the previous contests that they uh, had played in before and that's what you saw in the uh, the April 18th game this was a back to back we'll get into that we'll get into the second game momentarily Robbie but I would just like to get your thoughts on what you saw from the first game that these two teams played Pittsburgh taking the first game here by a score of 3-2. to two.
1: Uh, What I saw was a Sabres team that is playing for something. Obviously not a playoff spot, but they're playing for whether it's the coach or just pride or just to play spoiler. They're playing for something, and that's much more than you can say for the team that we saw. i even say earlier this month, but definitely different than the team we saw back in March and February or March, February, even at the beginning of the season back in January, what you're seeing is a team that maybe, maybe it was too much pressure. Maybe they people thought they were going to make the playoffs, but they look like a completely different team. They're not great by any means. And they're the, you still expect to go in there and win, but they look like a team that is playing with a little fire under them. And that's, what they need. That's what those young guys need. Uh, You don't want to be the team known as just an easy two points every time you step on the ice. And in both these games, as we saw in the Sunday game, which we'll talk about in a second, they're not going to make it easy on anybody earlier in the week. They beat the Capitals. These last 10, 11 games, they're going to make it hard on every team they play. And the Penguins have two more games against them. Luckily they're at home. It'll be at the end of the season. Hopefully it's not for a playoff spot. Hopefully they have the Penguins have that wrapped up by then. But that could be very well two crucial games for uh, either home ice or maybe the Eastern Division crown. So the, they're going to give you their best 60 minutes uh, now. It's not going to be just a roll over two points in the bag before you even step on the ice kind of game anymore.
0: And you brought it up, I think, either last week or the week before when I think we were talking about a game uh, the Penguins played against the, De- the Devils um, last week or the week before there are no easy games in the NHL. These are all professional athletes who are being paid very handsomely to go out there and do a job. And even if you look at the the disparity between these two teams in terms of the star power, the Penguins have, and maybe the lack of star power that the Sabres have, uh, the Sabres are still, like you said, Robbie, they still might be out to go and play spoiler against teams like the Penguins and the Capitals and the Bruins and the Islanders. And speaking of playing that spoiler role, as I mentioned uh, at the second half of this back-to-back, the Penguins meet the Sabers again on April 18th, and the Sabers take the full two points here. They win this game by a score of four to two. Uh, Twenty-six seconds into the game, Buffalo Sabers, the Buffalo Sabers, line Ristalainen gets the scoring going for Buffalo, out to a one-nothing lead. And that would be all the scoring you get in the first period into the second period. Sam Reinhart gets his 16th goal of the season for the Sabres. Buffalo now has a multi-goal lead on these Pittsburgh Penguins. Sam Reinhart would get his 17th goal of the season, his second goal of the game, on the power play in the third period at the 8-0-2 mark. Jason Zucker would break the shutout here, getting his seventh goal of the season. Uh, Rasmus Asplund would get his sixth goal of the season for Buffalo, making it a 4-1 Buffalo lead. Uh, with two minutes to go in the third period, and Teddy Bluger getting, I guess you could call a consolation goal of sorts, uh, getting the second goal for Pittsburgh on the night at the 1936 mark of the third period. But, Robbie, like we had just discussed, uh, with this back-to-back, at number one, goaltender Dustin Tokarski played a very solid game once again, uh, making 34 saves on 36 shots, 944 save percentage, gets the regulation win for his team, not making it easy for the Penguin Stars. And, uh, there's not much more you can say that's already been said when describing these, the Sabres team, they were out to play spoiler. They played very hard towards the end of the first game that these two teams played in the back-to-back set. And that, tr- that, that hunger, that desire, that fire translated into the second game.
1: Yeah. And it was, they came on good at the end of the Saturday game and it kind of just carried over for them. And people kind of forget it's hard to beat a team eight times in a season, whether they're regardless of the talent disparity, it's just tough to beat a team eight times, especially in a game like hockey where a puck can just bounce a weird way here or there and it ends up in the net. It's just a weird sport. And playing a team eight times, and beating them eight times, that would be a pretty big accomplishment, even if it was the Sabres. And I don't think any team in the Eastern Division is in position to sweep the Sabres this year. And that just shows you how difficult, because there's some really good teams in the Eastern Division, it just shows you how difficult it is to, to, to do that kind of thing. So, I mean, it is, it was not a good performance. It was a sleepy performance. Nobody looked sharp. Dustin Tokarski, credit to him, played a great game. The Penguins, they did get some life there in the third period, but they were already down three nothing. And it's just, it's just one of those games. You're going to get games like that, but Hey, you just kind of shake that off and get back on, get back to it the next night.
0: And the next night the Penguins would get back on it is April 20th in a game against the New Jersey Devils. And ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves if you hadn't uh, hadn't heard about this game, hadn't researched this game, hadn't seen a recap, if you've been under a rock for the last couple of days. This is, without a doubt, one of the craziest Penguins games in franchise history. That's not a hyperbole. I'm not overestimating anything. Because there were 13 combined goals between the Devils and the Penguins, I'm not, I'm not going to go goal by goal here. Uh, the Penguins get out to a 6 nothing lead by the, uh, by the end of the second period. Now, let me say that again, folks. The Penguins get out to a 6 nothing lead through two periods of play. And in the third period, the New Jersey Devils – almost complete the comeback. They score six goals in the third period, the final 20 minutes of play. Sidney Crosby's 18th goal of the season at the 1115 mark of the third period at the time gave the Penguins a seven to three New Jersey lead, uh, a lead over New Jersey, I should say. So at the halfway point of the third period, Pittsburgh was still leading New Jersey by four goals Somehow, some way, the New Jersey Devils climb almost all the way back. The Pittsburgh Penguins win this game by a score of seven to six. Robbie, uh, we were talking, like I said at the start of the show, we were talking right before we started recording about this game. Um, Scott Wedgwood of the New Jersey Devils got the start, uh, got the start in net making uh, nine saves on 13 shots. He was yanked after the first 20 minutes of play and the backup goaltender Aaron Dell would take over goaltending duties for the devils for the remainder of the contest. Uh, Tristan Jari made 24 saves on 30 shots. Good for uh, an 800 save percentage. He did take a penalty in this game, which is something that I want to get to when we talk about our main segment momentarily. But Robbie, um, you and I both agree that this was one of the crazier things that you and I have seen covering the Penguins. Uh, I have no prior kind of thing that I can compare this to. I know head coach Mike Sullivan was beside himself after the game. Um, the Penguins get the two points. I guess that's the only positive you could take away from this, is that the Penguins get the two points in this game over the New Jersey Devils. What do you have to add when looking at this crazy 7-6 to six win for the Penguins?
1: It just, uh, it's I mean, just bizarre. Just one of the most bizarre hockey games I've I've ever watched, and I've been I've watched a lot of hockey games in my life. There's really no that I can think of on the top of my head. No comparison to any game that I can remember. At least the Penguins playing in that comes close to that. I mean, you see some three goal comebacks, but a six six goals six that is that's a goal every. Oh my gosh, it's a goal like every three minutes. That's just just to make that comeback. And that, and that doesn't even include the fact that Crosby scored the seventh goal with under like eight minutes left in that game, under nine minutes or something like that. And at that point, you think they took the wind out of the sails. And hey, credit to Jersey, just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And what really stuck out to me in that game was Tristan Jari was just all over the place in that game. In the third, or in the third period, especially, just short side goals, just misplaying the puck, just—I know he wanted to go for a goal on that what turned out to be Jersey's sixth goal when it was seven-five. But the way that period was going, you just got to slow everything down and just see that out at that point because the way that game was going, anything could happen. It almost did. A credit to Jersey though for sticking with it and fighting back the Penguins. Hopefully take some lessons from that that you can't just regardless of what the lead is you can't just sit on your laurels in this in this league because someone's going to get you and i know six goals you usually think you can like relax in that final 20 but man when your goalie's not on like that and just crazy stuff's happening you got to be ready for anything and the penguins hopefully will take some good lessons away from that game because you don't want something like that happening in the playoffs against an opponent that's going to be much better than the new jersey devils
0: and Robbie, here's a stat that was tweeted out by ESPN Stats and Info after the Penguins-Devils game. Uh, here it is: The Penguins are the first team in NHL history to win a game in which they were outscored by five goals in the third period. Entering that night, NHL teams were had a com- had a record of zero zero wins, 270 losses and either zero shootout, uh, shootouts or overtime losses, whatever, however you want to describe that. Zero, 270, and zero in the regular season, and 0-9 and in the postseason when they were outscored by five-plus goals in the third period. Again, that coming from ESPN Stats and Info and uh, the ELIAS Sports Bureau. Robbie, you and I really don't have many more words to describe that game, and that will lead us to the main segment here, the the big question that I want to pose to you for this week's episode of the podcast, and it centers around Tristan Jari. Uh, let me pull up Tristan Jari's stats here. My question to you is this: Here, Robbie, we are both in agreement that that third period uh, was. I don't know if if you want to go out on an extreme limb and say that was Tristan Jari's. Worst period of professional hockey, uh, certainly the worst period he's played all season, all things considered. But in his last five games, he has four wins and a shootout loss. Uh, let's see, going back to the game, we'll go uh, the game they played April eighth against the New York Rangers. He gets the win, makes uh, twenty two saves on twenty four shots saved. That's good for a nine seventeen save percentage. The following game against the Devils on April 11th, he gets the win, makes 28 saves on 30 shots faced. The uh, the shootout loss that we mentioned at the start of the recap segment, he still finished with a 963 save percentage, making 26 saves on 27 shots faced. He played the Buffalo Sabres on the 17th. We talked about a 933 save percentage, 28 saves on 30 shots. And really the anomaly here, the 800 save percentage, Still getting that 7-6 to six win, though, 24 saves on 30 shots faced. He has a win-loss record this year of 19 wins, 8 losses, and 3 overtime-slash-shootout losses. So, Robbie, here it is. We are, as we currently record this, 9 games to go before the, the playoffs begin. Tristan Jari's resume, all things considered, this season and in his last 5 games are pretty strong, and it is worth noting that Uh, It's been talked about time and time again when teams get out to those massive leads that uh, it's common, it's natural for teams to take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. You know, you think you're out to such a massive lead like that, six goals, and it's basically human nature to just kind of go through the motions there. But Tristan Jari's decision-making in that game left me wondering, is his spot as the number one goaltender cemented with nine games to go before the end of the regular season. Remember, this is a goaltender who has played in only one career playoff game coming in the 2019-2020 season. He appeared in one game, uh, taking the loss in that game, but ending the game with uh, a 1.02 goals against average and a 9.52 save percentage. So in that very, very, very limited sample size in the 2019-20 playoffs, uh, he did look like he belonged there. But, Robbie, I'll turn it over to you and and ask you, do you think Tristan Jari's lack of concentration or whatever you want to call it in that game against the Devils, that 7-6 to six win, are you concerned moving forward that that might become more of a trend that might get stuck in his head a little bit? Or are you shaking that off to maybe just a blip on the radar, you know, it, it was a bad night, all things considered, in that third period. But do you think he'll rebound and move forward, hopefully build a stronger end-of-season campaign towards the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we have to hope that it's just a blip on the radar because he's clearly the number one guy in Pittsburgh. I love Casey Smith. I think he's a great backup. He's done very good for them this year. But they didn't get rid of Matt Murray, pay Tristan Jari all this money to sit on the bench, unless the wheels completely fall off like if he would just have repeat performances like he did the other night, then maybe we look into making a switch. But I think at this point, even it's going to take something just absolutely just crazy for Tristan Jari not to be in goal when the penguins start the playoffs next month, because he's just simply been their best. He's been their best option. Uh, DeSmith has looked good when he's been in net. Jari has the bigger sample size. Jari is the guy, the penguins are counting on. He is the reason that is the reason they paid him the money. He is the number one guy. I don't think I, I think I just think Monday night's third period sorry, Tuesday night's third period is more just one of those freak show kind of moments where he just loses concentrations briefly, kind of gets in his own head or just kind of just leaves his own body, whatever you want to say. He just kind of just had a night and it was bizarre to watch. But those nights are going to be rare. They're going to be rare for any goalie. You just have to hope that he doesn't go out there and start giving up three, four goals a night uh, because then it gets hard. Then there's a lot of pressure on the offense. Even an offense like the Penguins has been scoring very regularly so far this season. But as far as I'm concerned, Jari's your number one goalie. There's not much question about it. I chalk up Tuesday night's third period to just a lack of concentration. I mean, it was six, nothing. He wasn't the only penguin that lost uh concentration and kind of sat back in that game. Obviously you don't want your goaltender to ever do that. Cause the position's So, so, so important, but hey, it happens. I'm not going to put too much emphasis on it because I'm just going to hope, focus and hope that he bounces back and he becomes returns to the guy that he's been uh, those last five games. And even before that, Uh, pretty much what he's done all year he's done exactly what the penguins needed after a rough start he's been the guy that everybody thought he could be and you just have to hope he keeps building on that uh, as we go to the playoffs as for experience in the playoffs i mean always a bit of concern i guess if it's the goaltender but they have enough faith in him that he has enough experience around him to help him uh, in the playoffs that maybe that won't be such an issue
0: Well, as things currently stand and as we record this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, the Penguins just entered the first intermission, holding on to a 2-1 lead, and Tristan Jari is in net. We should say that Tristan Jari is is the goaltender, the starting goaltender here. He is hanging on to a 2-1 lead through the first 20 minutes of play. And Robbie, we will switch gears now and head into the mailbag segment. And for first-time listeners or long-time listeners, if you're interested in contributing to this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. Uh, We love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun questions here uh, from all of our listeners who listen to the podcast. Robbie, like always... Uh, you'll get first crack at the mailbag this week. And uh, the, the the first participant of our mailbag segment this week doesn't pose a question, just says it's Commander Kern. He's back with, with just a statement, an all-cap statement saying the Devils scored six goals in the third period. Uh, Robbie, I think that all-cap sentiment uh, really can be felt throughout the rest of the Penguins fandom. But, yeah, uh, it, it is a factual statement, Robbie. The 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 Devils scored six goals in the third period of play.
1: Yeah, if you had to – if you asked me to make a list of the 30 NHL teams and rank them from most likely to least likely to score six goals in a period, the Devils are probably very, very, very close to the bottom of that list. And it's not just because they're not good this year. It's mostly because the Devils throughout the last 20, 30 years have just been – the style of hockey they play is always just blah. And it can be blah to watch. It can be just boring. So six goals in a period is just nuts. I mean, the Penguins scored four in the first and it felt like at that point, you're like, great four four goals in a periods. Right. And man, that was just, again, just going back to that again, just bizarre. What a bizarre period that was uh, just, to put up six goals against the Devils, against a team that was clearly better than them, just, it's wild. And you probably, I mean, you're probably not going to see something like that maybe ever again as a hockey fan because the stuff like that's so rare. You just don't see six goals. That's a lot of goals. And you just, it's not something you see. So, hey, you can, see, you can say you saw it. And let's hope the next time we see it is the Penguins scoring six goals in a period. All right, question two comes from James Bendishaw. It's actually a two-part question, so part one. If it came down to it, who do you protect? Uh, this is for the expansion draft, Jared McCann or Teddy Bluger. And question two, if, Carter's re- if Carter returns as planned for next season, does this group stay together for another run?
0: Question number one. Who do we protect in the expansion draft between Jared McCann or Teddy Bluger? Robbie, I don't know if this is, I don't know if it would be, it would come down to something as simple as a coin flip when looking at what McCann and Bluger can offer, looking at McCann's position, versatility, uh, playing both center and the wing. That's obviously a plus for the Penguins lineup. Whereas Bluger and, uh, Mike Sullivan, trusting him in many more defensive aspects of the game and being a part of that buzzsaw line with, uh, with Brandon Tanev and Zach aston reese when they were all healthy, there is a possibility that the, the Penguins, I think the Penguins can protect both. Uh, I think we had a question like this a couple of weeks ago, and we laid out the different ways the Penguins can protect players. There are two formats, two different ways, uh, two different lineups that they can create uh, on in terms of how they protect players. If I'm not mistaken, Robbie, the Penguins can protect McCann and Bluger and maybe expose a player like Jason Zucker in the expansion draft. But for the sake of this question, uh, if you're asking me to pick between McCann or Bluger, I'll, I, I will say the Penguins protect Bluger, expose McCann uh, just for the fact that they might have a chance of keeping that buzzsaw line intact for a good while longer. I think Bluger is a better player defensively than McCann is, and Bluger is showing this year, I think he has already surpassed his career point total in terms of season-by-season output, so if Bluger can maintain a little bit of an offensive spark in the bottom six, I would lean towards protecting Teddy Bluger over Jared McCann. And number two, if Carter returns as planned, does this group stay together for another run next season? Uh, yeah, it all hinges. Well, I don't. I don't want to say it all hinges, but this question hinges on whether or not Jeff Carter decides to retire after after this season, as it was heavily speculated uh, while he was being traded from the Los Angeles Kings to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And there are reports out now that say Carter does not plan to retire. Uh, He plans on coming back next season to finish out his 10-year contract. He would have a cap hit for the Penguins of, I think, roughly $2.7 million. So, Robbie, I don't have the Penguins cap projections in front of me for the 21-22 season. Um, But number one, can this group stay together No, because at least one person is going to be exposed to the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft. That's not including other unrestricted free agents that the Penguins are going to have to deal with. Uh, Looking at a player or players on defense, could a player like Mike Matheson or Marcus Pedersen get traded to shed salary to give other players like Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin contract extensions? That's a very real possibility at this point. But I think both of these questions from James... Uh, are questions that will have a much clearer focus, A, when we reach the expansion draft, and and B, when we get into the offseason and we figure out you know, what Jeff Carter's real aspirations are for the 2021-22 season. Question number three for you, Robbie, also comes from James Bendishaw. He goes on to ask, this time, back in the glory days of stand-in-line student Rush Penguins tickets it seemed like we had a lot of chance and taunts the crown joint in on outside of the standard let's go Penn's chance on repeat. Do you have any fresh ideas for the Penn's faithful? Oh boy, uh, this is a good
1: question. So yeah, the student rush days back in, I guess more my college time uh, was a pretty, it was a very interesting experience because you had to stand in line Occasionally, you might get pizza from the coaches or some of the players uh, or whatnot. It was a very—you could do it online, too. There was a way to get it online. But uh, it it was a different experience. It was definitely a different experience than what uh, goes on now. Well, this season is a little obviously different than anything else. But as for chants, I'm um, not really great with coming up with stuff like that. The Let's Go Pen chant is obviously iconic. In Pittsburgh, it's so simple and it's easy to beat with, um to create a beat with, and it's very, very well known. Um I don't really have any fresh ideas for, uh, for chance and stuff like that. Uh, I don't, I don't really, I'm not like a, a really a fan of like getting to become like a Nashville type crowd like it was during their final run in 2017, taunting the goalie after. I just now the Penguins like you do like you have. Uh, like in the, especially in the play, it works best in the playoffs when you're inside a goalie. You always had the, the Lundquist chance, the Hulkby chance. I remember they, they've done Cam Ward, they've done uh, pretty much any goaltender they'll go up against. It's just a very that's something that's very fun to do. But I don't really wanna be a a Nashville type fan base in Pittsburgh that creates a chant for literally everything that happens. It just kinda of gets old and tiring and gets kind of uh, it's just not as fun it's it's nice to save like the goalie the goalie taunts or the let's go pen stuff uh, for the in-game experience but as for coming up with something new uh, i don't really see a need to i just think we rule with what we have because uh, we seem to have a pretty good formula going uh, for creating some success in the playoffs all right question four is from liam is Pedersen still a penguin after the season or do you think he gets traded wow.
0: Um, Well, Liam, this is something that I addressed in uh, the previous question to James. And looking at the Penguins' defense, and looking at the cap hits, you have Marcus Pedersen, who has a cap hit of four point zero two five million for the next one, two, three, four seasons after this one. And you have Mike Matheson making over $4 million as well for, I believe the next five or six seasons. So who who's the weakest link on this blue line when it comes to looking at all of these cap hits? I think it's either Matheson or Pedersen. I don't think Pedersen has had the strongest season this year. Um, and he was never really known for his offensive contributions, more or less known for his defensive uh, defensive style of play, never really going to chip in offensively. But I think one of those two players is going to be traded because of, like I said earlier, uh, there are going to have to be talks and maybe even actual contract extensions that are signed for the likes of Evgeny Malkin and Chris Latang. And we haven't even brought up the fact that Pierre Olivier Joseph is still in the AHL and he's still on his entry level contract that make, that gives him less than a million dollars at his cap hit for the next couple of seasons. So I think the penguins would be wise to take advantage of that. Uh, I know there's at least one general manager out there out of the other, what are going to be the other 31 general managers that look at a 24, 25 year old defenseman like Marcus Pedersen not making the greatest salary in terms of cap hit with over $4 million, but there's definitely a general manager out there who would easily take a flyer on that for Marcus Pedersen's sake. It's, it's a matter of when not if because of all of the reasons that I've listed in terms of contract extensions and things of that nature, bringing up Joseph on his entry level deal. So is Marcus Pedersen a penguin next season? I am going to say no, he gets traded.
1: Can I chime in on that real quick? Go ahead. Because you bring up a couple interesting points, and the Pedersen thing is, so there's a flat cap next year. It's not going to go anywhere. So the the teams already know what they're dealing with. I believe it was in that revised CBA, or it was maybe just done outside of that, that the NHL and the NHLPA agreed to a flat cap uh, for next season, meaning we won't have to worry about, At the the NFL, the cap went down this year, which caused a bunch of, a a bunch of cuts and trades and a bunch of r- roster shuffling before free agency started in the NFL, the NHL you're at least they know what they're going into uh, next season. And that I think makes it so much easier on, on the, um, on the management on Ron Hextall, Ron, Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, uh, and um, above them, if, However involved they are, but you got to look at, and the Matheson Patterson's a good, a good, a uh, example of how to weigh that question because next season, man, I think you got to find a way to bring back Cody CC because he has played very, very good this year in the role that he's in. I'm not saying that he has played so good that I want him next to Brian Dumoulin or Chris Tang. Not saying that at all. Cody CC in that bottom on that third pairing with Mike Matheson has had a very good season. As we record this, he scored tonight his fourth goal of the season. The signing was much maligned when it happened in the off season, but you can criticize a lot of what Jim Rutherford did in his last weeks, months as the Pentagon's general manager. That's not one of the things you can criticize because that move has worked out. Then you get into different things. You're looking at what else the other moving parts are on the blue line. You're going to have to, well, John Marino's paid, but you have Mark Friedman who has been hurt this year, but Ron Hexall picked him up for a reason. Can he give you what Marcus Patterson gives you? Maybe. The problem is where, where it becomes an issue for the Penguins is Patterson is a true left-handed defenseman and the Penguins have all Mike Sullivan is always like, is always preferred a, every pairing to be a lefty and a righty you very rarely see outside of maybe having some injury fill-ins where you have a a pairing that's righty righty or lefty lefty so if there's any good news for Marcus Pedersen it's that he's a left-handed defenseman that the only way the Penguins can replace that is with another left-handed defenseman who just happens to be Pierre Olivier Joseph who you mentioned so if they, if they think that Pierre-Olivier Joseph is ready, then I think you can see Marcus Pedersen out the door. He would take just over $4 million off the books, and Pierre-Olivier Joseph would obviously be much cheaper than that. So if we're looking at it that way, maybe, maybe Pedersen's gone. But I'm going to lean with you and say that Marcus Pedersen will not be a Penguin when the season starts next year.
0: Definitely going to be uh, another story like uh, like James's question uh, when looking at the expansion draft and wondering if Jeff Carter returns. Definitely going to be one of the one of the storylines to watch into do the Penguins offseason. Uh, question number five for you, Robbie. Our last question of the mailbag this week. Inspired by Tuesday's seven to six win over the Devils. Do any past Penguins collapses? really stand out to you
1: if you're looking for just single game collapses it's really tough to stand i mean that they gave up they surrendered a three-goal lead to the flyers back in was it march at the early march which was at the time a much more concerning loss than it is now because the flyers were not complete garbage back then Uh, they were still i mean everything was still much more up in the air if you're looking for like True meltdowns. I mean, if you're looking like playoff series meltdowns, you have the one in 2014 against the Rangers that eventually led to the firing of Dan Bausma and Ray Shiro and that whole regime. Other than that, though, a single game, I mean, there's so many times that you could call collapses that, I mean, are they really collapsed? It's kind of hard to say. Um, nothing that I have ever witnessed that I thought was just one of the dark, dark moments of the franchise. Like, blowing a 6-0 lead, even though they're still going to the playoffs and in the end it wouldn't have been the end of the world, blowing a 6-0 lead can do a lot to the mentality of a hockey team. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that that really sticks out to me. You have bigger, like I said, bigger picture meltdowns, like the playoff meltdowns in 2014, the meltdown against the Bruins in 2013, the complete nuclear Chernobyl-type meltdown against the Flyers in 2012. But nothing that really, really, truly sticks out to me is just like, man, that came so close to replicating this really bad moment that the Penguins had in the past. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe that was just that was just a weird game, just a weird hockey game. It, luckily, it worked out for the Penguins in the end. You got two points. You didn't have to go to overtime. And you inched just that much closer to a playoff spot. So, overall... From a game perspective, I don't recall anything quite like that, and I hope I never have to experience that again. But if you're looking for, like, complete collapses, I mean, anything of those meltdowns in the middle to late Bowsma years, like just the way they collapsed those years in the playoffs, really, are really the only thing that kind of sticks out to me. But from a single-game perspective, nothing that really jars the memory.
0: There were a couple of things, and you mentioned the 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 – the legendary Flyers meltdown from twenty twelve, I think it was. Was that yeah. right? Is that twenty yeah, twelve? Right. Yep. The the year before the Penguins had that three to one series lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning without Sidney Crosby. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the first thing that came to mind was that collapse. Yeah, but, I,
1: n- I never put too much weight on that year because they right. were missing. That's what like, everybody, a lot of people pointed to that. And yeah, when you're up 3-1 and that Tampa Bay, I mean, that Tampa Bay team went to game seven in the Eastern Conference Final against the eventual Stanley Cup champion, Boston Bruins. So that was not a bad Tampa Bay team, but there's just so like, they won, Bowsman won Jack Adams that year because of what he did with, without Malkin and Crosby there was just so much flurry was absolutely phenomenal after in like from january to april just phenomenal probably should have been nominated for the Vesna that year he was a team mvp just i mean it just caught up to him in that in that playoff series yeah 3-1 you probably should have closed out that so you got to try to find a win in one of those next three games they didn't i i people point to that sometimes and i kind of just brush it off because that I mean, that was the peak of Crosby and Malkin's. Crosby had like, a that season had like a 25 or 26 game point streak. Malkin was an MVP the very next season. He scored 50 goals the next season. It's it's just so hard to to put that on him. That's why I focus more from like 2012 to 2014 as meltdowns.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree, and I definitely yeah I wanted to preface that and put that asterisk there without Crosby and Malkin. Uh, yeah, on the like on paper you look at the three one lead and you think, okay, like the team should have this in the bag, but uh, I could definitely see your your side of the argument as well for not wanting to include that in in uh, in franchise like historic franchise meltdowns. Uh, Robbie, that'll do it. That wraps up the mailbag segment for this week's episode of the podcast. And uh, unless you have anything else you'd like to add, that will wrap up this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. So for Robbie, I have been Gareth Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg podcast, and we will see you next week.